time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and we're talking about how to get unstuck. In fact, we're at the very last session of our series on getting unstuck. And my intention of this series was to help you understand some reasons why you get stuck and also to figure out how to begin that action forward. Because remember that any change begins with action. Any change has to start with something that pulls you forward. So let's quickly go through kind of as a wrap up some highlights of what we've talked about and and a little more information that's going to help you understand just why kind of in normal day to day life we end up being stuck. I believe that there are three primary reasons why we do get stuck. One is because of the past. We've got stuff in the past that has bound us up. Maybe we have things we need to let go of that we keep holding on to, like those rocks in the bag. Uh, maybe we have some places where we we need to re-understand ourselves or re-understand the people around us so that we see a new direction for ourselves. Sometimes it's about the future. There is anxiety always looking through the unknowns and, and what's out there, and so sometimes the future future anxieties create the fears. And remember, there's also oftentimes a relationship between that past and that future, that there is a stuck place in the past that creates the the fears of the future. And so we're, we're both anchored in the past of those hurts and of those misunderstandings and of those places of, of shortcoming and, and maybe some underestimation of the self that come from the past that lead us to continue to underestimate what's, poten- what's possible for ourselves, the potential we have in our lives, and how to move forward through that anxiety, through that fear, there is another reason, and that's about energy. Energy is whether you see the reason to expend that energy. If you look around, you'll notice that the world operates on what uh, might in business be called a cost-benefit analysis. A cost-benefit analysis is simply looking at the cost associated with doing anything versus the benefit of doing that. And every business goes through this on a, a way of looking at what's, what's happening. Are we going to uh, add new jobs here? What's the cost of adding the new jobs? But what's the benefit of that? What's the cost of adding a new product? But what's the benefit of that? And so there's this cost-benefit analysis. Now, it's not always about cost-profit. Sometimes the benefit is a better standing, a better uh, location, a, a better presence. I mean, there are lots of ways that that benefit can can play out, but there's got to be some benefit to any cost that anybody or any business wants to go through. But it's not just about business. It happens in the whole world. If you look around at wildlife, at, at the wild, at the animals out there, they're constantly trying this cost-benefit analysis. If you've watched the videos of the hunting on the savanna, you'll notice the lioness who's watching to see if she can pull off that that wildlife, that that prey for them, the wildebeest or whatever it is they're going after, the antelope. And they're always trying to judge which one to go after based on the cost-benefit analysis. 
if they chase down the fastest, that makes no sense because the cost of chasing down the fastest is a whole lot more energy lost, a whole lot more cost to the body and to the muscles versus what they're going to get out of it. But if they can pick off that one that's a little slower, not paying as good attention, uh, maybe a little injured, then there is a higher benefit to it. There's a higher payout, a higher energy level to it. And so those hunting animals are always trying to decide, is it worth going after the prey? Is it worth going after that piece uh, of meat, of, of nourishment, in terms of the energy that's going to be cost in doing that versus the energy that's going to be found in doing that, the benefit that comes from that? You also notice that with creatures that are, are gathering things, right? If you watch a bird that's gathering up berries, they're trying to get the bigger berries, the better berries. And that's true all across the, the wildlife, that they're trying to either get the easiest because that gives them uh, the immediate food source or the biggest and the best in order to have the most food source amongst that that's around them. If you're going to expend energy, you want the most back for your efforts, Look at a water watering hole uh, that they often show in those wildlife movies, and you'll notice that everybody is on this cost-benefit analysis. Is it worth me going down and getting that water that I desperately need in order to stay alive versus the risk of something attacking me there? And then the animals are, the, the predator animals are going, is it worth me going after that while something else, another predator may be waiting for me, or maybe there's another risk out there. And so there's a constant place in the water, watering hole by itself of cost benefit. Do I drink? Do I not? Do I attack? Do I not? And that's a part of us too. I've already talked about the businesses where they are looking for the opportunities and the risks and they're always looking for, and this is very important, the potential payoff. As much as we like to pretend that everything runs on hard science, let's be honest and say that that's not necessarily true for business or anyone else because a business may invest heavily in something that is now no longer worth it, that, that suddenly, uh, for whatever reason, the benefit falls away because the benefit is always down the road. It's always a little bit outside. The cost is immediate, and that's why we often get stuck. If somebody could tell a business, if you spend $2 here, you're going to get $4 back, that business is going to sign up for that immediately. But if the real uh, piece of the equation is if you spend $2 here, you might get some payoff. You might even make $2 down the road extra on top of that. But it can't be determined until you sink the cost, which is why we humans often get stuck in this. Notice how it happens for us. We're always trying to judge. Do I jump in on this? Do I wait? And it's always about predicting that future. Your brain does it and your body does it. It's constantly trying to find the shortcuts, the ways of conserving energy. So you're, you might decide that it costs more to go exercise than what you see as the potential benefit down the road. Now, notice that we humans aren't real good at looking at it rationally because rationally, we all would recognize on some level that eating good foods and that, that uh, exercising and that doing the right things is good for our body and there's a benefit down the road. But it's hard to get past that conservation point where your body's trying to hold on to the energy and not cost it here. And that's even true in your neuronal pathways, which is why we have what we call habits, because our brain would rather not 
uh, use the energy necessary to constantly, every single time, choose what you're going to do. Think about your morning ritual, your morning routine. I I know that what I basically do is roll on automatic. Uh, I'm not thinking through, do I make coffee first? Do I feed the dog first? Do I let the dog go outside? Do I, you know, make my wife smoothie? Uh, Do I check my email? None of that because I've done it so many times, it's automatic. I come downstairs, I start the coffee, I let the dog outside, the dog comes back in, I feed the dog, I make the smoothie, I get my coffee, and it all runs on automatic because I've done it so many times. In fact, I can tell you that when I get a little out of kilter, then I am constantly wasting energy trying to catch up. Like a little while ago, I realized I hadn't taken my vitamins this morning. That's usually a thing that I do right after I take my dog out and while the coffee is being made, and I forgot this morning, and it's cost me energy just thinking about that. So notice those little places where we just have energy place leaks when we change our routine. And that tells you why our brain doesn't like to change routines. We like habit. Habits are good. Habits are bad. But we find that they conserve energy. They're just shortcuts. And that's true in our neuronal pathways. The more we do something, think something, say something, the more easily that happens. Think about a time when you were trying to learn some new skill and, and you just kind of bumble through it the first time. The second time, it was a little easier. Third time, it was, it was much easier. Fourth time, a lot easier. Fifth time, it was kind of automatic. And now you just do it. Well, your brain was creating a neuronal pathway, those nerves, and it's kind of like creating a groove. At first, there's no groove, so you're splashing water everywhere while you're pouring the water down where you want it to go. And it's just splashing everywhere. But then the groove starts to build. And then it deepens. And then suddenly it's a rut. And that is the interesting thing. Years ago, my, my father uh, and my mother have a place. It's near the waterway um, and near the coast. And their uh, yard often kind of slopes downhill. And if there's a little rain, it's got to go somewhere. Several years ago, we were in the midst of a torrential downpour. And there was just a little bit of a crack in the ground at first. But when the rain was coming down, it began to move easily through that crack. And the more it moved through that crack, the deeper the crack got and the deeper it got until it was a deep gully. It was a rut. Now, every time it rained, it would go straight to that that rut, that gutter, that gully and rushed on, on down. In order to stop that, we had to fill it in and pack it down tight. And it's, it's harder. It's a lot of energy to fill it in and pack it down tight, just like it's a lot of energy when you decide to change a habit. Habits are shortcuts of your life that are on automatic, designed to save you time and energy. You don't have to think about it. You just go through the motions. But then you end up in the rut, the place where you're stuck. And so even if you're unhappy about a job, sometimes it's easier to keep doing that job just because that's the rut you're in. Or maybe you're in a relationship that needs to change, but it takes too much effort to change it. So you keep going down that relationship rut, digging it deeper and deeper. Or maybe you have friends around you that don't bring you great joy and don't push you to go to a higher place and that it doesn't pull you into a better position, but it's easier than going and finding new friends. And so the rut gets deeper and deeper. Or maybe you haven't been exercising and taking care of yourself. And as much as you would like to, it gets harder and harder, right? And I've noticed this, that, you know, where that place is to get started gets deeper and deeper and harder and harder. And the knees hurt and the body aches and it's, you're carrying more weight and, and the energy in your body is drifting away because of that uh, lack of nutrition. But the rut gets deeper and deeper. 
And that's the problem. We're doing this cost-benefit analysis or failing to do that all the time because the cost-benefit analysis requires you to guess. You can't foretell the future. And so you don't have a real cost versus a real benefit. You have a real cost or at least an imagined cost versus a potential benefit or at least an imagined benefit. And that is a little bit harder to decide on. And so you have to have something that pulls you forward, which is why we've been talking about the ways to change that in the midst of this series as a way of saying, you know what, I've got to decide to cost. I've got to decide to spend that cost in order for that potential benefit because where I am now is not good. And that's the important thing of going where I am is not where I want to be. I have to take action to move away from that. Which brings us to the question of taking that action. Change is about becoming free of those past problems, of maybe letting them go or deciding that you're going to forgive something that's happened and ignoring the future fears. Past problems keep you anchored to the past. Future fears keep you from moving in that direction. So past problems and future fears are the pieces that we first have to deal with, look at, accept, and move forward with. And then you have to see what's the benefit. What's bigger than the cost? Where do you need to move? And sometimes uh, we all play that game differently. I remember back to high school, and there are some of us who saw the cost of going to college for another four years to be so worth it, and others imagined that the cost of going to college would do nothing for their benefit. Some of the people who didn't go to college were exactly right. They found good jobs and they uh, found ways through that and have ended up having great benefit. Some who went to college didn't find the benefit on the backside. And so sometimes we have to decide to move in a way that's not just about that cost-benefit analysis, but about our passion because we're looking for the passion benefit. We're looking for our energy benefit. So we have to move forward with that, with our energy. Now notice that this is one of those places that's different than a goal. Your energy moves you in a way. Energy may be about helping another person or doing a project or uh, making an impact in the world, but you may not know how you're going to do it. Say, for instance, you know that there's some message, some, some story or message within you, and you're thinking you want to have that bestseller book. Now, the goal of bestseller book is the problem. But you might create the steps. You know, we talked about creating the systems that will move you towards that, the processes that will move you towards that goal. Instead of saying, I'm going to write the best-selling book to say, today I'm going to write 10 pages towards that. Or today I'm going to do a podcast towards that goal and finding a way of stepping forward with that. That's when we were talking about the difference between goals and systems. Goals are things that once you just you meet them, you, you haven't done anything beyond that. For instance, if you say, well, I'm going to I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Right. That's the goal. And so you're either going to just meet that goal or you're going to fail. I mean, that, that generally is what happens. And so if we look at statistics, people who say I'm going to lose 20 pounds often don't even arrive at that 20 pound loss. And in fact, when they do, they tend to have hit their goal and they celebrate with a big dinner and dessert and back they are back to the old ways, right back to those habits. Instead of saying my system, 
My system is I'm going to walk a half an hour a day and I'm going to eat only whole foods and avoid sugars and not eat soft drinks, not drink soft drinks. Suddenly you've created your system. Now you have your method of what you're going to do each and every day. And so when we create these methods, these systems, these processes that steps us forward on a daily basis, will it move you towards what you want? Absolutely. But let's say that your system is to eat whole foods and to walk a half hour a day and to make sure you're not drinking soft drinks and all those other things. And then you go to a party. And at that party, there is this delicious dessert. And so you eat that dessert. Now, if you had this goal and you stepped on the the scale the next day and you had the goal of losing 20 pounds and you see that actually a pound and a half is back on, you're tempted to give up. But if you've got a system, you say, okay, today I start again. Today I get on that. If you're deciding to write a book, you say, okay, I'm going to write 10 pages a day or five pages a day or one page a day. Here's the thing about even one page a day, it's moving you forward. And in a year, you have 365 pages, which is a healthy book. And so you decide to create that system. But let's say that it got busy and you were going to your aunts to visit and you just didn't have time to write. Well, the next day you can get back on your system. So that's the reason why those systems are so important versus the goals. But you have to have an a direction. And that direction comes from following your energy and watching where you go. Think about it as always experiments. Instead of did I, did I succeed or did I fail? That was an experiment. And when you're experimental, you can be very curious about trying th- things out. You might try a new habit. You might try a new ritual, a new process, a new system to see what happens. And when you're doing experiments, you don't fail ever at experiments. In science, experiments don't fail. They give feedback. They tell you what's not going to go. And so you can always say, well, that was some interesting feedback. So let's say that you decide you're wanting to start a new relationship. And so you decide that your system is to talk to five new people a day of the opposite sex or same sex, depending on orientation. But you're going to find five people to chat with. And in the process of doing that, you find that uh, that's very difficult And so you give up on the second day. Well, that's feedback. That's not failure. Maybe instead of uh, having conversations with five people, you need to join a group where there is five or five people who have similar mindsets to you. And then you're naturally given that uh, opportunity to interact. Suddenly, the experiment is about giving you a new feedback loop, a new place to move. So treat these attempts, these systems as experiments, which are always giving you feedback. And instead of thinking of them as failures, think of them as data points. So if something doesn't work, you go, okay, that's a data point. That didn't work. So I have a data point of what won't work there. Let's try something new. Remember, you create those systems that work on a daily basis, not a system that's good for a year out, but a daily basis. What's gonna, what are you going to do tomorrow? Also, remember that stuck is partly mindset, You are always moving and changing. The world around you is moving and changing. The opportunities around you are moving and changing. And because of that, you recognize that part of your feeling of stuck is just that. It's a feeling. It's not fact. It's a feeling. And you can let that be your narrative, your story. You tell yourself about how you're stuck, or you can realize that stuck is a story And you tell yourself that stuck story over and over when in reality, things are changing all around you. 
sometimes I've had people come to me for counseling or for coaching and I've worked with them and I can see these great changes and they'll say, you know, I'm still stuck. I'm right where I was. And I can say, well, this has changed and this has changed and this has changed and this has changed and this has changed. And they'll say, yes, but, and the, but is always about them telling themselves their stuck story. So stop telling yourself that stuck story and start changing the story of, I haven't done something yet. And so people will say, well, you know, I haven't been able to get to this place. Just simply add yet to the end of it. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't changed yet. I haven't managed to get where I want to yet. Now I've got to create the systems that are going to get me there. And notice how there are those loops around you, those unfinished businesses. What I notice about the places where I have an unfinished business is it keeps my energy going. If I haven't called somebody I need to, or I, I haven't written that email, I keep losing energy to those little pieces because I go, oh, I need to do that. Oh, I need to do that. And whenever we do that, we recognize that we need to close that loop. So make it your habit, make it your system to close those loops as quickly as possible so that you can have that unfinished business finished and left behind. Sometimes the loop can only be closed by saying, I'm not going to think about that anymore. I'm not going to be caught in that loop. I'm not going to be stuck there. I'm just going to move forward, but close the loops. Also note how fear doesn't have to be a block. Many times I've had people come to me and say, you know what? I want to do this, but my fear is blah, blah, blah. And I get them to change only one word, but to and. I want to do that. And my fear is and they fill in the blank because and acknowledges that the fear is there, but it doesn't have to be the determining factor. Remember that courage is not a lack of fear. Courage is acting in spite of fear. Courage is choosing to let the fear only tell you that something's important and that you need to pay attention. I believe, and I've said this over and over, that people use fear as an avoidance indicator. There's fear. I've got to avoid that. And I want you to think of fear as an importance indicator. I'm fearful about this. I'm fearful about what's there, but that means it's important to me. Let's say that you're, you've decided that you need to meet somebody else, somebody you want to have a long-term relationship with, somebody that's going to be significant in your life, and you see somebody across the room of which you have no interest so there's no risk in that. So you might walk over and have an easy breezy conversation because it means nothing to you. But then you spot that person that just seems like that person you want to get to know and you feel the butterflies and you feel, you know, the lead in your feet and you, you feel the flush and all of that, uh, those, those physical signs that there, there's something here and you decide not to go over because you're afraid wouldn't it be wiser to go over because you are afraid, to go over and interact because you are afraid, because the fear is telling you this is important. That's the importance indicator. So fear is not something you just run towards, but it tells you it's important. If I'm running down the trail and something slithers across, it's not that I necessarily have to avoid it, but I might, but it certainly is telling me it's important. And so sometimes we see things we need to move towards because of their importance. Sometimes we recognize it's important and dangerous and we avoid it. Either way, the fear is only an importance indicator. Pay attention. Watch where you're going. This could be a game changer. That's what fear needs to be instead of a block. Don't let it be a block. Simply change it to, but I'm afraid, to, and I'm afraid, and I'm going to take action anyway. 
Remember that the process always starts with that gathering knowledge, but that's not enough. So many people want to do something different. They want to change a career or start a business or write a book or get in shape. And so they go and they gather information. They get books and uh, find courses, and then they don't take the next step. Action. Because you can't just gather knowledge. You have to begin taking action. They don't have to be big things, but you have to be taking action and realize that that action is going to be courageous action. So you find some knowledge that makes sense, and then you commit to the action. You build your systems, and you let the fear point that it's important, and you choose to make courageous action. And as you do that, you're going to find there's something floating up. Those are those limiting beliefs that are around us. Remember, we have aspirational beliefs, those beliefs that pull us towards something greater and bigger. And then we have those limiting beliefs, the ones that make us feel small and keep us away from things. Those limiting beliefs don't have to keep us stuck. Those limiting beliefs can be changed. And the process of changing those beliefs is first to become conscious of them. You want to become conscious of what that's about, and then you want to find something that it runs counter to it. So how do you find the conscious pieces? Well, one way of becoming conscious is noticing when you say uh, something as an absolute, always and never. This never works out. I will always be stuck. I will always be in this job. I will always be in this relationship. People are always uh, untrustworthy. People never treat you well. People are always out to get you. All of those kind of beliefs that float around, around us. So we become conscious in our absolutes of them. Almost always, you can point to the absolute. So once you've noticed your absolutes, that's the pieces of where you find your limiting beliefs. You become conscious of them. Then you want to challenge them. Find places, find people, find opportunities that challenge that place for you. I'm always stuck. You went to look around and say, are there times when I'm not stuck? Well, absolutely. We all have those places. Or I never succeed. Well, are there places, realistically, where you have succeeded? Or someone can never write a book. Well, look around. There are plenty of people who do that. Or nobody ever gets into shape. Notice the people who do. Begin to challenge your belief. And as you challenge your belief, all you're doing is looking for evidence that fights it. And there's always evidence. I will say always is an absolute evidence to fight the contrary. As long as there is a potential for something, there is going to be evidence out there of people who have done that. And so you start looking for the evidence and looking for the places that challenge your absolutes, that challenge your, your stuck beliefs, your limiting beliefs. And as you challenge them, then you want to step into that. And the way you step into it is change your perspective. So what would it be like if you were like that person? You change your perspective. I could do that. I have the potential of that and begin to think about possibilities instead of I never or I, I always or people never, people always or the world never, the people, the world always. Sometimes, sometimes the world treat you well. Sometimes people treat you well. Sometimes you succeed and you begin to embrace that. And so the third C is changing your perspective, but the fourth one is committing to your change. Commit to that new belief. Live it out. Keep telling yourself how you can do that. And as you do that, you build your systems. You build the place where you see your energy moving and you move forward. Getting unstuck is as simple as challenging where you're stuck and finding a new way forward and letting those new neuronal pathways build. And as you do that, 
you climb out. Okay, we're at the end of our uh, series on how to get unstuck. If this has been a helpful series, please share it with people. Easy ways to do it. If you're on the website, just below the podcast, you'll find lots of ways of sharing it on social media. That's a good way of getting the word out. If you're listening through a subscription on Stitcher, iTunes, or uh, Google Podcast, just leave a review if you could. I know it's an extra couple of steps, but it'd be so helpful for me and so helpful for other people to find this. Find a way to get them back. If you can't do either of those, but you're on Twitter, you can just type in thrivology.com slash love. That's thrivology.com slash love into your browser. It creates a tweet that's ready to go to send people right back here. Next week, we start a new series. That new series is about building your thriving body, and it's about how to move from wherever you are. And I'm not talking about from moving from wherever you are to a beach body to, you know, uh, to having a six-pack or anything else. I'm talking about how to get your body to a thriving place, how we attend to our rest and our food and our exercise and our stress reduction in order to find our optimal place because your body is what carries you through your mission, your impact in the world, finding your meaning and purpose, and your body is what steps forward into this place of being unstuck. So join us again next week as we start the series on your thriving body. This is Lee Balkum wishing you a thriving life. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it.